A software engineer's wife tells him, hey, while you're at the grocery store, buy some eggs. Do you know what happens? No. He never comes back. <laughs> okay, you're going to have to explain for us. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a damn while loop there. While you're at the grocery store, buy some eggs. And it just... <laughs> he's, he's staying in the wild loop, so he's staying at the grocery store. I love it. That's funny. Yeah, we're going to have to debug that one. That is good. This week, we're talking about software with developer turned founder Pavel Soiga. Pavel's company, Tuflux, was, by his own report, an accident. The company he actually set out to found in 2012 was a trivia game you could play on your phone. When funding ran low, the team shifted away from the trivia product and to Pavel's inbox, which was flooded with requests from friends and coworkers. He figured they'd take on a few projects by their time, but soon they were busy, really busy, and then they were growing. And eventually, the trivia app just kind of faded away. Fast forward to today. Tuplux has developed more than 150 digital products, totaling over $4 billion in value. That includes products in cutting-edge areas like AI, blockchain, and machine learning. I had a lot of questions for Pavel about all that, and of course, about the fate of his trivia app. So for all that and much more, let's get to the interview. I wanted to hear more about Tuplux. Maybe you could tell us how you started the firm. Sure. So I, I used to be a software engineer myself, actually. My dad taught me back when I was in the, in the third grade. And, and that's when I, when I kind of started getting into computer science and then studied computer science. At some point, I got interested in multi-touch, you know, a multi-touch that you have on, on your iPhone these days. Yep. And uh, there, was like a, there was a TED Talk that I watched from Jeff Hahn. And I got interested during the university, I got interested in, in you know, interactive surfaces, interactive tabletops, and, and multi, multi-touch in general. That got me into more open source because I started working on, I tried to explore how multi-touch screens work. And, 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 and within the open source community, I started to, uh, to support them uh, with my programming skills. And, and we were building software to, uh, to actually do multi-touch devices. And that completely kind of changed my perspective on, on multi-touch. And I started learning uh, iOS programming and, and, and became an iOS engineer. That's where actually my mobile, mobile career started. And I worked for a few companies. Google was one of them. And then I left. So actually, I left Google to do iOS and then went through a bunch of startups and bigger companies. And at some point, I was at, I've got enough savings uh, so I could leave and start on like start working on my own thing. I had this idea for for a quiz game, very much similar to HQ Trivia. If you that was eight years ago, so yeah. HQ Trivia is actually best timing for that. But we started we started working on it. I I, I convinced two other other friends to to join me and to to work on it. I left uh, the full time job and and with with some savings we started working on our startup. And we always thought about creating a company where uh, that would be like more like an umbrella organization where we would have multiple products and that would be one of them. That's how we started Tuplux and 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 Crispy. That was the game. It was supposed to be a first product. So it started out as just your own startup. And then how did you end up taking clients of your own 
And maybe you could explain for our audience, you know, what, what is it that Tuplux does today? So we run out of money pretty quickly. And that was when a bunch of startups uh, have a tendency to do that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so we were one of them. And at this point, we were like, okay, so what do we do? And there was a bunch of folks uh, in my network that were reaching out uh, to us to help them build mobile apps. And that's actually how we started doing services. So, you know, Tuplux is a, a software development company. Uh, we help companies uh, build their products and, and help them get to the next level you know, whether that's through product development, software development, or uh, research. And yeah, that's where we started doing services. That was 2012. Well, and, and Tuplux has been tremendously successful. You're based in Poland. You're relatively, I mean, you're not new to computer science, but you're kind of new to running a services firm. Tell me more about where are the clients coming from? How are they finding you? I mean, if, you know, 2012, fast forward eight years, we're here, we've worked with uh, over 100 clients, like you mentioned, majority of our clients actually come from US. We've always focused on, on long term partnerships. And I always say, you know, building building products is, is a, a marathon, not a sprint, right? And just takes time to build the product. So when you say long term partnerships, how long does your typical relationship last for? Well, at least a year. There you go. There are some, I mean, on average, I think it's about a year. But there are some that, that lasted, you know, three, four years. But you're on the other side of the world. And so how are all these U.S. companies finding you? for? Just refer- I mean, majority is actually referrals. Actually, a lot of them are coming from other companies and their network. And that's the main main source. I mean, some of them are coming through, you know, inbound and, and, and our marketing. But I think we've, over the years, built a pretty, pretty good partner network and partnered with, with uh, all the companies, uh, met entrepreneurs, uh, met their uh, employees. And I think the word of mouth just works. And, and maybe you could describe for us, what's your like bread and butter type of client? You know, is it a, a seed or series A company? Is it a large fortune 500? And maybe you could tell us a little more like what's your typical project look like? So when we look at our services, so we got kind of four main pillars of services. We, we work on mobile apps, we work on web apps, we have our AI, AI solutions uh, team and, and, and the product team. The clients that we have, we can, they're like startups and enterprises. Most of them are actually startups at different stages. Usually it's about, usually it's around seed and, and, and series A is that's just the sweet spot. And I think there are just different challenges at each stage. Each stage. So uh, that's why we tailor the services each time, you know, when the company is is like a pre-seed seed, they might need more kind of product discovery and, and they don't know what they're really doing yet. And, and when the company is more mature, they usually have their own engineering teams and, and they just they, they want to extend it. Uh, or maybe when they're like at the, at the growth stage too. So, you know, seed stage, series A is, is usually the sweet spot because that also allows us to get there, get to know each other. And as we as we kind of start, you usually start with a smaller team, kind of grow with them. If the product is successful, if they are seeing their growth and they need to expand, that's where we're growing with them as well, because usually that means that they need more engineering and product help. You know, I'd love to transition, you know, if you think about the entrepreneurs out there, the, the seed stage and series A entrepreneurs, maybe they're thinking of using, you know, uh, a third party software development firm like mm-hmm. Tuplux. 
What advice would you give these entrepreneurs? You know, there's certainly a set of opinions that says, you know, you really need to build your technology in-house. What would you say to that seed stage entrepreneur that is hearing that and considering working with you? I mean, you know, looking at looking at what's happening with remote now and COVID, and maybe I'll sound like a broken record, but like the re- remote has changed a lot of things. And uh, even though we're forced to it, I think it accelerated the pace of, of adoption remote across the world. And I think that actually has worked to 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 our favor uh, because yeah. a lot of a lot of the companies were not ready i mean they they thought they are not ready to to do remote they were you know only uh, in the offices and i think because of the coronavirus and and pandemic they are more willing to to work with remote companies now and more open to people who travel so it really doesn't make any difference whether you know you're working with an external company like ours or are you actually have an employee re- remotely, so or somebody in house, right? So that's I think one one of the ch- recent changes that I'm seeing. There are other things like we're we're taking care of all the operations, right? So you don't have to really worry about anything like that. We can help you grow the team too. So we we do recruiting, tailored hiring, so we can help. Uh, grow the team and you don't have to worry about that it's a lot of like operation costs that you normally you would have to to deal with you don't have to deal with it and you know just access to talent i think i think that's the biggest problem right now like where do you get great talent where do you get great engineers and and and, and product people and i think a lot of the companies have uh, struggled with hiring uh, a lot of entre- entrepreneurs just cannot find talent quickly enough and i think that's one of the uh, main reasons where I think you should. Well, and how are you finding so much great talent? You know, Poland is well known from uh, top engineering talent, and we've made our reputation here in Poland and continuing to grow. Let's say you're giving advice to, to one of these entrepreneurs, and they're like, Yeah, you're totally right, Paul. I want to move faster. You know, we can work remotely with our teams. You have great access to talent. The work you've done is amazing. You know, what advice would you give to an entrepreneur when they're evaluating a potential firm? You know, what are the questions they should be asking? Tuplux has a great reputation, but, you know, how do they evaluate one firm from another to know that's going to be the right fit? I mean, the first thing you need to answer yourself is like, you know, do you know what you're looking for? Like, do you know the problem that you want to address, that you want to solve? I think a lot of a lot of companies don't they you know they don't have a clear definition and understanding of what they actually need need help with and and so i think it is it is important to first to ask yourself like okay what do i need and am i am i coming to that company with a solution so i'm coming to them and i'm saying oh i i need like a senior python engineer which it's a solution to to your problem or or are you saying that okay i have this this you know engineering problem that i need to solve uh, because you know everybody wants like senior engineers, but how do they know uh, if they have a senior level problem to solve, right? So I think it's always good to see how companies approach building the team with you, right? How will they pick the right talent will work with you? And I think 
that touches on the engineering mindset uh, because depending on your on your stage uh, you know if you're a startup if you're an early stage uh, i think you you want engineers who are who know how to work with startups at the early stage right who don't who are not afraid to make mistakes who can release quickly and uh, just iterate quickly and are okay with maybe not such a perfect code because a lot of that code will be a throwaway code uh, anyway because maybe you're going to have to pivot or some of the functionalities will not be used by by your users right then bigger companies on the other hand maybe they already have a million users or something and they need somebody who has worked scale scalability and and complex solutions and and then the, the engineering mindset is, is different hey do you like our show i do too If you want to support the startup stack, the best way to do that is by subscribing and rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. Also, send dad jokes, or if you have them, actual good jokes, to podcast at rocketplace.com. Feel free to send us feedback there, too. Are there maybe red or yellow flags that entrepreneurs should watch out for when they're thinking about a third-party software dev shop? I think the biggest problem is miscommunication. Uh, so most of the issues actually come from miscommunication. And what I'm noticing here is like, and with our long-term partnership approach and like the, the trust and, and, and that we're trying to build, I think the feedback loop and the process for feedback is just very important. And you want to be in a constant constant feedback loop with them, right? Be open about the, the issues that you're seeing, if you're seeing any, and, and ask them about the feedback, about the relationship, about the team members. Uh, you know, if something doesn't work, just speak out and, and get it out there. Because otherwise, you know, there's just something under the table. And, and I think that usually leads to companies saying, uh, or like they don't want to continue the uh, working with you, and not really saying you why. So I think that feedback loop is really important. And the other thing is making sure you spend time. Like if you're working with a top uh, agency or like a software development company, they will take care of that and help you. But like making sure that they have a good understanding of the business so that they know what they're getting into, they understand and they can better kind of help solve your problems because otherwise it's just a needle in the haystack and i think it's good to understand the, how that small or big problem that you're solving fits into a bigger vision of the company yeah. you know anytime i've ever worked with engineering teams you know we're talking about setting clear expectations but yeah. there's always unknown things that arise right so you you know you might say well we're going to build this and it's going to take this long but stuff happens scope changes Bugs arise that yeah. they, you know, things, all the time, things change. All the time. How do you deal with those changes over time when you're you know working with third parties, especially new relationships? That's where I think it's good to like when it's a new relationship. I think it's good to start small, have, have maybe a, a shorter test project, let the company prove themselves, uh, let the team prove themselves. So I think that's good from like the you know from the client perspective, but the on our end like the beauty of long term partnerships is that we're building products together. We're really like blurring the lines between the companies. You know, we have those dedicated teams that work with our with our clients, and and there's this one team approach we call it when we're actually treated as as one team with them, right? And and that allows us to just plan together, come up with, uh, you know, with solutions um, 
different. I mean, the, the challenges and problems just change over time. And so I think that's that's an ongoing struggle, ongoing fight. But it's not like we, we try to avoid like fixed scope projects because exactly uh, for that reason, like things will change. How do we actually be part of whatever cycle whatever process you have with your team and we're part of it and we're we're talking about it, we're working towards the solution together instead of just having a fixed scope and then wasting time renegotiating the scope and and and, and all that so i think that's just uh, the approach that that has worked uh, for us i'd love to hear about a project that you and your team did that that you're really proud of maybe you could tell us about that there is a remote patient monitoring company. So they're doing remote patient monitoring for uh, chronic uh, respiratory disease. So they have like a unique sensors that capture medical grade physiological data around the clock. And, and we've worked them for, uh, for a couple of years now. Uh, originally, they started with a customer app. They were in more in a kind of mindfulness, deep breathing with guidance space you know, sensing your breathing and, and, and helping you uh, on that front. But uh, the kind of the wearables uh, market changed uh, a little bit, you know, big players uh, coming to play and and they pivoted from the B2C just because the B2C became much harder to more like a B2B2C. So into more having clinics as, a, as clients and, and, and patients as, as a customer too. Uh, so they discovered that the, the kind of the medical applications could be a bigger, a much bigger opportunity and, and, and have a bigger impact. We've helped them with the original app, the mobile side and, and on the backend side. And then we've helped them through that transition to become a medical device company. So, you know, they're now building a, a kind of support the decision tool for doctors when they can see the sensor results via dashboard and some insights about the chronic respiratory diseases. And so we've helped them on the, on the mobile side. We took over the design, helped them design the, the, the whole experience, helping them also on the back end, you know, with the scalability of the, uh, the back end architecture. And yeah, and they are FDA approved. So, you know, we work together to meet all the software requirements, kind of traceability of the, the product requirements. So from, from design through implementation and, and, and testing. Yeah. And, and what was really cool about that project, you know, besides the fact that it was helping people who needed it? I mean, for me, just the, the relationships that we built, the, the impact that it, that, that it has. I mean the whole journey. I think that's the that's the beauty of it is that it's it's the whole journey and the challenges change over time and they are still there. Well, so so I'd like to talk a little bit about the trends we're seeing right now. Obviously, twenty twenty. You mentioned this before. We saw huge changes because of the pandemic. The world has moved remote. Well, with the, with the remote, I think that's exactly. What I think like Rocket Place is a really good timing too. Right, because you're you're a market marketplace for top quality service providers, and with that shift, I think that's uh, it's easier to connect with companies. Ex- exactly, you know, our belief is that there are 
outstanding service providers offering a wide array of services all over the world. Tuplux is one of them. And so what Rocket Place enables folks to do is to find great firms like yourself and much more easily connect. We've got we've got all the tools now to, to do remote. Like they got better so fast because they had to, right? So Exactly. You know, whereas, you know, maybe traditionally, you know, whether it was that performance marketing agency or that software dev shop, you know, you might find that in your own backyard. And certainly because of of word of mouth, you might be referred to someone in a smaller network. But, you know, the world has really gone global. Obviously, you have been on this trend for a while, right? You've been getting U.S. clients for close to 10 years now. You know, I mean, are there other trends that are happening right now that you and your team are seeing or very focused on? Yeah, I mean, they're the obvious ones, right? The the, the kind of the pandemic ones. Uh, What I'm looking at is the first one is, the the commoditization of AI. If you look at you know artificial intelligence technologies, I mean they're becoming ubiquitous. They're more accessible, easier to use, more affordable to to all businesses, and, and so it's in general just getting easier and easier to do AI, to do deep learning, more APIs, uh, you know AI as a services, and and Pavel, what type of products are you seeing now that? That maybe they weren't in just a few years ago. Just even if you look at like computer vision, like image recognition, object recognition, like a few years uh, ago, you didn't have any APIs within your cloud providers that could do that easily. Now you, any software engineer can do AI now, actually, because it's just you have so many tools, uh, so it, it became so much easier. Like the, the challenges that that ones required, you know, a dedicated team. Uh, of, you know, either AI engineers or some data scientists, you know, can now be easily accessed on on demand. So I think that's that's the shift I'm seeing and I'm kind of watching what's happening. I have have found the image recognition to be amazing. Whether I'm using Apple Photos or Google Photos, I mean, I, like, it recognizes people's faces. I can even search by, you know, keywords through images. It's just incredible. To see and, the technological improvements there, uh, you know, are there other areas that you think that we're going to see AI have a huge impact? You know, maybe this year or you know, relatively soon. I I, I am just amazed by what OpenAI is doing with first with the GBT three, which is a, a linguistic model that can generate uh, knowledge about the world from and from like text, and 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 that was the first one that they that they made. And, and then recently, Dolly, uh, which is like the, the version of their, their the, the GBT3 trained to, to generate uh, images uh, from text descriptions. And, you know, looking at the results, like we're, we're, it's 2021, I'm, I'm just looking forward to what we're going to see in, in, in 2020, you know, five, because the, the technology, you know, can combine like unrelated concepts and in the very plausible ways and, and render images from text descriptions and that can have impact on services like Shutterstock or Getty Images and and even create new new uh, business models like you know you can imagine creative agencies being impacted actually by this technology in, in the future because anybody they could start using those those solutions to generate the images or you know creative content too uh quickly or somebody could actually use 
DALI-based solutions to to generate something themselves and not use a creative agency. So that's also some sort of a risk. But yeah, generative models, generative AI is definitely something I'm 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 looking at. We've actually yeah. worked on on like gen, generating people model photos, right? So you could like generate faces and um, and all that. So that we've you know in and, our AI research. And are are there a certain type of project? Maybe it's a use of a certain technology or that has has that you have seen really proliferate as you kind of look at your clients that you're just getting asked all the time to do these types of projects. Not really. I think I think the. I mean, the beauty of where we are right now is that we can mix and match the, the competences that we need, right? Because we have mobile web, AI, and, and, and the kind of product teams, we try to pick uh, the best technology that, that is needed. I mean, there's more happening on, I think on the mobile side. People are looking more into cross-platform solutions. So React Native is on the rise. I think that's definitely something to, to look at. So companies are trying to figure out whether they want to do the React Native one or or a native one. And if you could go back maybe to the beginning of Tuplukes and give yourself some advice, what would be the advice you would give yourself as a as an entrepreneur about to start a ah, well, <laughs> I did a lot of thinking about the whole twenty twenty during the holiday, but I I you know, I'm a perfectionist and I like this I like this quote uh, if you're not embarrassed by your first product release, uh, you released uh, too late. And I think it's it's just something that resonates with me so much. And it that can be applied to many other things. It doesn't have to be just the product, right? Just kind of, if I look at myself, you know, when we started the company, just good enough is okay. Uh, and just uh, release it quickly. Uh, do something quickly, and 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 then maybe iterate and, and improve. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's the one I would. We 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 did try to spin off a, a company, and and also took too long to release a product because uh, we wanted it to be more to be too perfect, right? So uh, I think that's definitely something to take into account. The other thing I think is the the like I I used to run out of pilot, right? So kind of just not having time to think turn off your autopilot i think uh, is is really important and and find me time uh slow down coming from the ai guy <laughs> telling us all to turn off our autopilots yeah i mean ai will do the job for you right so uh, no but like that's the reflection from i like, I like that turn off your autopilot enjoy the drive yeah <laughs> slow down you know Find some time to for reflection you know, and put it on, like even put it on the calendar. Have time to think and not uh, be in the in the in the day to day all the time. Well, Paul, I really en- enjoyed this chat today. Thank you for telling us more about uh, your firm and your story. Thanks for joining the Startup Stack. <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for having me. It's been a great pleasure chatting with you today. Thanks. For more on our conversation today, visit www.rocketplace.com slash podcast. We upload a new episode every week. So if you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to the Startup Stack in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to them. Thanks again for joining us. See you next week. The Startup Stack, written and edited by Hannah Levy, produced by Leah Jackson.